I'm a 77-year-old woman. When I was 17, I had an illegal abortion, which almost killed me. Whether it may be right or wrong, the choice should be the woman's choice. I'm horrified that women have to go through that ordeal again. I'm a 75-year-old retired physician. I am very concerned about the abortion issue. I think women have a right to choose. As a straight white male, I don't get much of an opinion on abortion access, um, and I believe that is how it should be. Um, However, I am a father um, of a daughter, and um, Amendment 2 is uh, high on my radar, probably the most important issue. Um, And the fact that Kentucky is considering um, making this leap of not allowing anybody um, to have access to abortion in our state um, Maybe the thing that, um, you know, tells me this isn't the place where I want to raise my daughter. According to a poll from NPR and PBS last month, abortion is the number two issue for voters across the board just after inflation, and it's number one for Democrats. In August, Kansas voters surprised many people when they overwhelmingly voted against a ballot measure that would have eliminated the right to an abortion in their state constitution. Now, several more states, including Kentucky, California, Montana, Michigan, and Vermont, have abortion on their midterm ballots. They'll be voting on these measures next month. The decision to overturn Roe v. Wade has altered the political landscape in the run-up to the midterms, including in Kentucky. We're in Louisville as part of our Remaking America collaboration with WFPL. We're looking at the ways our democracy is and is not working for all of us. Kentucky voters will soon decide on a constitutional amendment like the one that failed in Kansas. But driving around town yesterday, we didn't really see any yard signs for or against the amendment. So how much do voters really care? We get into that and a lot more after the break. I'm Jen White. You're listening to the 1A Podcast, where we get to the heart of the story. Remember to connect with us on Twitter at 1A. This message comes from NPR sponsor, BetterHelp. Introducing Group Sessions, a new BetterHelp therapy offering currently in pilot testing. Therapist Joy Bergheimer shares how finding a community of people with shared experiences can help clients become more comfortable with therapy. For quite some time, we have not normalized mental wellness, and a lot of our families would shame you when you would say that you were feeling depressed or you're feeling overwhelmed. If you have been told over and over again that basically you have a character flaw, if you're seeking therapy, that's going to be a reason that people don't want to go seek therapy. But actually being in group with other people and hearing them say a story that feels like it came right out of your book is huge. Like, oh my gosh, this is not abnormal, right? And this person is further along in their journey than me. So now I know that therapy is something that can shift things for me. So really seeing their peers has been a huge shift for people accepting therapy for themselves. To get 10% off your first month of online therapy, go to BetterHelp.com slash 1A. Let's get back to the conversation. Joining us here in the WFPL studio is Divya Kartikanyan. She's a Capitol reporter for Louisville Public Media. Divya, welcome to the program. Hi, thank you for having me. Also joining us in the WFPL studio is Sarah McCammon. She's a national correspondent for NPR covering the Midwest and the Southeast. Her work focuses on political, social, and cultural divides in America, including abortion and reproductive rights. Sarah, as always, it's great to have you. Great to be back. Divya, what exactly will Kentuckians be voting on next month? So this is the language on the ballot. It's just about 
53 words, pretty simple compared to the Kansas Constitutional Amendment, which says, to protect human life, nothing in this constitution shall be construed to secure or protect a right to abortion or require the funding of abortion. Now, there are certain uh, parts of this amendment that can be pretty misleading because there isn't really funding of abortion per se in Kentucky. Um all that there is in terms of funding is Medicaid funding for extreme cases like endangerment to the life of the mother or rape or incest. But there isn't really funding of abortion. So it's interesting that that's in the language. Uh, but, uh, you know, it is very confusing for voters to decide on whether to vote yes or no, because there's this idea of if I am voting yes, it means that abortion rights will be secured, which is not true, which is why this language is so confusing. Um, and so a lot of people are trying to, you know, the campaigns on both sides, the side that is anti-abortion um, has a campaign slogan, uh, yes for life. Um, and on the other side, there is vote no on amendment two by Protect Kentucky Access, which uh, are the coalition of abortion rights advocates in Kentucky. So they're trying to push that forward. Uh, but people are still confused between voting yes mm. and no. So and just to be clear, by voting yes on amendment two, you're voting to uh, ensure that there are not abortion protections in Kentucky's state constitution. By voting no, you're allowing for there to be protections in the state's constitution exactly. that protect abortion rights. Sarah, how is this ballot measure in Kentucky different from the one in Kansas? In concept, it's similar. Um, as Divya mentioned, the one in Kansas was longer, was more words. But but essentially, both of them were brought forward by opponents of abortion rights, people who oppose abortion, who wanted to put in their state constitutions the idea that their state constitutions have no protection for abortion rights. And this post-Roe v. Wade, in this post-Roe era, post-Dobbs, the decision that came down from the Supreme Court in June overturning Roe, that has become a major strategy for abortion rights supporters to say, okay, we don't have federal protections for abortion rights anymore. The Supreme Court has said that. So now let's look at state constitutions and see what they say. And so abortion rights supporters have argued in multiple states, including here in Kentucky, that the state constitution in one form or Another in Kentucky, it's through a right to privacy, may include protections for abortion rights. So, the, so what you're seeing is opponents of abortion sort of pushing back on that idea and trying to make it very clear in their state constitutions um, that there is no such protection and, and and just sort of clear away one potential argument against abortion bans. But as you said, I mean, as we're saying against abortion bans, you know, there's so it's so confusing. And this is something I saw firsthand on Sunday. I was out um, following around some canvassers for the Vote No team, the supporters of abortion rights team, essentially, and listening to them talk to voters. And people were just very confused, you know, trying to understand what this all means. It's almost like a double negative. So that is one of the challenges, um, I think, with messaging around this issue. Divya, how would you describe Kentucky's political landscape right now? So we have a Democratic governor and we have a Republican dominant legislature. And there has been a seismic shift uh, in recent years, especially since 2016, um, for, you know, even recently, the um, the number of re Republican registered voters has exceeded the number of Democratic registered voters. So that's been a big shift in many, many years. Kentucky used to be a Democratic state. And so much has changed since the legislature has veered towards the GOP, um, you know, the landscape has become overwhelmingly, overwhelmingly Republican, which is why it's a little 
there are parts of this amendment that could go predictably to the side of a you know a yes vote uh but we don't know either. This seems very unpredictable about where it could go. Well, driving around Louisville yesterday, we were surprised at how few Amendment 2 signs we we saw hmm. for either side. Do you have a sense for how motivated voters are by this issue? I think voters are pretty motivated. Uh, I think the primary confusion, again, lies in should I vote yes or should I vote no? People know that there's an amendment out there on the ballot. There's also, uh, you know, Protect Kentucky Access, which is the abortion rights advocacy group, uh, did sort of issue their first TV ad. And I'm just noting that uh, the person who is the campaign manager for Protect Kentucky Access was the campaign manager for Kansans for Constitutional Freedom, uh, which had defeated the amendment on the ballot. Um, So... They're basically uh, getting ads out there talking about and their first ad that came out was interesting because it picked on this um, on a Kentucky woman's testimony that even though she wanted she already had a child, she wanted to have another child. But that pregnancy was not a medically viable pregnancy and that would be at risk to her life. So it was interesting that they picked that testimony to reach out to Kentucky voters because there are plenty of women, um, some of them who are Republican voting, who feel uncomfortable with the idea that this would be the state intervening, uh, a constitutional intervention, as well as the fact that not all of them support complete bans on abortion. They do need some exceptions. Uh, Sarah, when we look at what happened in Kansas, uh, do you see any correlations between Kansas and Kentucky? Because people, as I said, were surprised at how overwhelming that defeat was in Kansas. Certainly. I mean, both are red states. They're not identical in terms of party registration, in terms of sort of demographics and politics. You know, they're each their own state. So I don't want to overemphasize the similarities, but they are both conservative-leaning states in the Midwest and the South. Um, And in Kansas, you're right. I think that amendment was widely expected to be won by the anti-abortion side. And, uh, you know, voters pretty overwhelmingly rejected the the idea of further restricting abortion rights. Um, Certainly, the Kentuckians I talked to who support abortion rights are inspired by that, excited by that. I spent some time with Rachel Sweet, who Divya mentioned, the the campaign manager here, who uh, (laughs) said she had to to think for a second because she wanted a nap after the, the Kansas initiative, but but was pr- persuaded to come here and and lead that campaign. Um, so she said, you know, they've learned some lessons from that about messaging, about what kind of works to get voters to the polls and explain this idea, but also trying to look at Kentucky for for what it is as an individual and different place. And so, um, you know, from what I hear, uh, it's hard to know, but I think both sides have a sense that this is going to be a tough fight. Divya, briefly, what do Kentucky's abortion laws say right now? So um, abortion is completely illegal at this point uh, in Kentucky. There's been, you know, Kentucky has a trigger law which uh, automatically triggers a ban on abortion uh, when the Supreme Court uh, overturned Roe v. Wade. Uh, You know, Tennessee had a 30-day sort of window until they did that, but Kentucky is one of three states where it automatically was triggered. So there's been a back and forth sort of litigation that's happened, uh, you know, at the circuit court level. Uh, But at this point, uh, it remains illegal. We only have two clinics in Kentucky, both of which are in Louisville. So they remain shut right now. So uh, 
There is a hearing scheduled for November 15th, which is odd because we have to vote on November 8th. So we're not sure about how that would play out, but that's the situation right now. Now, Sarah, you've spoken to both the major abortion rights and anti-abortion rights in Kentucky, groups in Kentucky. And here's a bit of your interview with Rachel Sweet. Again, she's the campaign manager for the abortion rights group Protect Kentucky Access. She's also the former manager for Kansas Constitutional Freedom. That's the group that led the campaign in Kansas to successfully defend defeat the abortion amendment there. Kansas was in some ways the first shot across the bow, right? Um, I think it, that campaign, I think, did send a message. Um, so I think Kentucky is definitely an opportunity to keep that momentum going and to show um, elected officials, to show politicians that these policies are really unpopular and that when you give people the opportunity to vote on this issue, they will vote to protect access to legal abortion. Sarah, how much overlap is there between the strategies used in Kansas by abortion rights groups and the ones in Kentucky? I, I think one of the biggest similarities is that um, the the message I'm hearing from Rachel Sweet and her campaign to defeat this amendment is the idea that this is just too extreme, that this goes too far. Um, they're aware of their audience. They're aware that they're talking to voters in a largely red state. And um, so they're trying to, to make the point that this that this amendment would make it much more difficult or make it much easier, essentially, to, to ban abortion, to restrict abortion. It contains no language about exceptions for rape, incest, life of the mother. Um, I mean, supporters of the amendment say almost the same thing in reverse. Look, just leave it up to the legislature. Uh, but as as Divya mentioned, I think, a moment ago when we were off mic, uh, the, the legislature has, has already made it clear where they stand on this. There are two anti-abortion laws currently in effect, and um, the courts are, are yet to weigh in on, on whether they can stay in effect. Uh, but that is the message, that that this will sort of truncate any nuance and take away the opportunity for uh, Kentucky voters through their state lawmakers to to allow for some nuance around this issue. Well, let's hear some of your conversation with Adia Wushner. She's the executive director of Kentucky Right to Life and chair of Yes for Life Alliance. Remember, we've, we've had Roe. We've been in the, the 49 years of Roe. No one wants 49 years of the Kentucky Constitution drug out into this battle. You know, and and let's remember what we're talking about. We don't make any, there's nothing else in our Constitution that upholds murder. And that's what abortion is. We forget what we're talking about here. Now, Sarah, just remind us, what were the, the stakes in Kansas? And how does that differ from what's happening in Kentucky? Right. So one major difference is that in Kansas, abortion is legal, was legal at the time of the vote in August on their anti-abortion amendment. Uh, As we've said, in Kentucky right now, at least for now, two abortion bans are currently in effect. There's no access to abortion in the state of Kentucky. So in a way, Kansans were voting on whether or not to preserve a right they still had, whereas Kentuckians are voting on whether or not to uh, potentially leave some space to to get back a right they have lost because of the overturning of Roe v. Wade. Um, you know, as we heard from Adia Wishner just a moment ago from Kentucky Right to Life, her her argument, her frustration is that under Roe v. Wade, for decades, there was a tremendous amount of litigation around abortion laws. We saw many states still passing, especially in recent years, passing laws that were pretty clearly out of step with Roe, unconstitutional under Roe. But sometimes those were passed in an effort to sort of chip away at uh, abortion rights, abortion access. And in other cases, um, especially more recently, as the court moved to the right, some of these laws were passed um, with the intention of challenging Roe v. Wade. And so what what she was saying is, let's... um, Let's not have another 50 years of this, but 
at the state constitutional level, let's just make it clear that there's no guarantee of, of a right to abortion in the state constitution. And then, uh, you know, her hope would be that these laws I mentioned that are currently in effect would, would be allowed to stay in effect by the state Supreme Court. We're discussing abortion in the upcoming midterms. We'll be back with more from you and our guests in just a moment. Now let's get back to our conversation about abortion and the midterms. And let's add one more voice to the conversation. Rachel Riboucher is a professor of law at Temple University, specializing in reproductive health law. Professor Riboucher, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me. So how have you seen the political landscape change leading up to the midterms since Roe v. Wade was overturned? It's really been dynamic. Um, just as Sarah mentioned a minute ago, uh, laws being introduced and joined, put back in force, ballot initiatives coming on the scene, the Kansas surprise uh, in the sense that the, the measure uh, failing and failing by some significant margin. I think it's 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 really been a shifting landscape. And, and I think a lot about how we communicate to people in states, you know, what law governs them? Um, what is the state of abortion law and access where you live? And so it's, 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 it's been very dynamic. Well, let's go back to our voicemail. Hey, my name is Joni. I live in North Hills, Vermont. We have abortion on the ballot, and I'm voting yes, of course. I'm voting for a straight Democratic ticket because the Republicans are completely opposed to rights for women. Now, Professor Ribouchet, as we've said before, beyond Kentucky, there's several other states voting on abortion in November. There's California, Montana, Michigan, and Vermont. How different does this battle over abortion ballot measures look across the country? I think it looks different, you know, depending on the state. You have states like Michigan, Vermont, California, where the vote is really a vote for putting abortion in the Constitution, uh, protecting abortion rights uh, against Future challenges in California and Vermont, those uh, those are likely to pass. Vermont has been debated since 2019. Uh, Michigan's really interesting because their uh, a yes vote would mean that uh, individuals have a right to reproductive freedom, which includes abortion, but also child care, prenatal care, contraception, sterilization. Those are ballot initiatives that we should think about in a slightly different way than Kentucky, which, like Kansas, is really an uh, initiative to preclude state constitutional protection for abortion. Now, Sarah, Michigan is a swing state with a Democratic governor. How is this issue affecting the midterm election there? Yeah, I think when it comes to ballot initiatives, Michigan is is certainly one of the most interesting states right now. Um, because you have a number of things going on. Uh, Democratic Governor Gretchen Whitmer is a strong supporter of abortion rights. Her Republican challenger, Tudor Dixon, opposes abortion rights, and, and that's been a major issue in that campaign. It's been in, in uh, Whitmer's ads on behalf of Whitmer, for example. Um, but there's not just there's not just the governorship. There is this ballot initiative um, that we just mentioned, which was, a, it's kind of unique. It was a citizen-led effort to protect abortion rights in the state constitution. And so one of the key things that it would do is regardless of, regardless of what happens with the governorship, with the legislature, uh, it, would, it would put in the state constitution these protections and also would stop a 1931 law that has been uh, the subject of a lot of litigation since the overturning of Roe v. Wade and even before it. Governor Whitmer sort of preemptively challenged this law to try to prevent it from taking effect because we talked about trigger bans, which were written uh, in anticipation of Roe v. Wade being overturned. And uh, we talked about 
states like Indiana passing new laws, but then you have another category of pre-roll laws that in some states are still on the books and arguably could still uh, be activated as a result of the Supreme Court decision. Um, Michigan's is a really good example of that. And if this ballot initiative is successful in protecting abortion rights, it would invalidate that and sort of remove that question of whether or not this old ban is active. Well, let's go back to our inbox with this message we got from Judith. I think that instead of referring to it as an abortion issue, they need to refer it to women's rights issue. Hearing the word abortion turns so many people off. And if all the candidates would refer to it as women's rights, I think it would be more helpful. Judith, thanks for that message. Professor Ribouchet, how much does language matter and and framing matter when it comes to persuading voters on these abortion ballot measures? I think it matters a great deal. It matters, uh, you know, we saw it in Kansas that the uh, group that was raising money to defeat the amendment that would preclude abortion rights in the state constitution called themselves Kansas for Constitutional Freedom. So just as the, the message from your listener suggests, they weren't using the word abortion in their name. Uh, the group that wanted the amendment to pass, wanted to, um, to stop abortion rights from being recognized in the state constitution, called themselves value them both, also didn't use the word abortion. So language for both raising money for these ballot initiatives, but also reaching voters, uh, tying abortion rights to larger questions of women's rights, gender rights, uh, autonomy, bodily autonomy rights, that, that's that been very important in this conversation. Sarah, how significant have grassroots efforts been in mobilizing voters on both sides? I think it's important to note that there has been a lot of money put into these campaigns. And in both Kansas and Kentucky, the uh, abortion rights side, the vote no side, has has out fundraised, uh, significantly fundraised, I think it's four to one here in Kentucky, uh, the other side. At the same time, there is a lot of grassroots attention and energy. You know, I spent some time um, to the point about about the sort of language around faith and freedom. I spent some time, as I mentioned Sunday, following canvassers around for the Vote No campaign. Uh, I spent time with a couple of women who were in their 50s and 60s who they told me they were friends from their temple and uh, both, uh, you know, felt like their, their perspective as um, – you know, as members of the Jewish faith was not always highlighted in conversations about faith and this issue. They both talked about experiences um, as they went door to door with with miscarriage. They talked to some of the, the voters they met about these very personal experiences. And I heard a lot of emphasis on things like personal freedom, women's rights, and also faith. Um, and I think there's a real effort among some of the, uh, certainly the grassroots activists, as well as the leadership of these campaigns to sort of... Um, put a little bit finer point on that idea that 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 the messaging around this issue uh, around that, those issues in particular doesn't just belong to one side or the other. We got this email from Mara who says I moved from Austin, Texas to Lexington, Kentucky this summer, having come from Texas where the chilling and criminalizing effects of SB8, that's Texas's abortion ban have been felt for over a year now. I look forward to exercising my right to vote no on proposition 2. There's no such choice in Texas. What worries me in my Kentucky community is the lack of discourse about Proposition 2. There doesn't seem to be much awareness, so I will put up a yard sign. Sarah, as you've been reporting here in Kentucky, are people talking about this proposition? Uh, you know, I was sort of surprised again, just for, I've just been in the state a few days, but but 
um, as we went door to door, there were several voters who said they weren't aware. And, and in fact, one man said, you know, I should have I wish I'd known about this. I should have been hearing about this. And so, you know, he was appreciative of the conversation. We're starting to see, um, as Divya mentioned earlier, we're starting to see um, ads around this issue. So that's raising awareness. I see some yard signs, but I, too, was surprised. It, I, I'm seeing, at least anecdotally in the Louisville area, um, probably more signs about about candidates, about mm-hmm. specific individual candidates and not about this um, amendment. But I think it's interesting. We've heard from some of our callers who've said, while some of them want to put their position out there, others, I think, are sensitive to the politics here and maybe a little cautious about putting that sign in their yard. Professor Ribouchet, inflation is still the number one issue for voters. Democrats are hoping to keep abortion top of mind this uh, November. But How concerned should Democrats be as we get further from the court's decision in June that the momentum around abortion will fade? I heard, you know, I think that there is, um, again, this ebb and flow of attention and energy around the abortion issue. I think it's going to stay at top of mind. There have been really interesting studies that show that, for instance, um, young women are registering to vote in numbers that far outpace what registration in previous years. They're registering uh, at, you know, in, in in greater proportion than men. Um, and so if, if some of that data gives us any, you know, give any sense of uh, why people are registering, if they're registering to vote on this issue, I think it's going to stay live uh, for, for lots of people. Well, Sarah, in a Guardian piece published yesterday, Senator Bernie Sanders, he's an independent, but he caucuses with Democrats, warned Democrats not to focus all their intention on abortion leading up to the midterms. From from your reporting, how much political sense does that make, given what we've seen so far? You know, I thought that was a fascinating statement. I think what you see there is, well, first of all, it's consistent with Senator Sanders' long-term message, right, of sort of focusing on workers and jobs and the economy. And I think what you see is him sort of uh, asking Democrats to lead on that issue, not to just be in on the d- defense. Because as Professor Ribouche mentioned, um, you know, polls indicate that that inflation, the economy are top of mind for voters. They are the top issue. Uh, and and on that issue, voters give Republicans a, a bit of an edge over Democrats, at least a few points. And so um, I think Democrats have seen ab- abortion as as the the strongest case they can make to voters this fall. But I think you see Senator Sanders saying, uh, you know, he said he'd like to see more Democratic s- support for initiatives like raising the minimum wage. Uh, so I think sort of meeting Republicans on, on that turf mm. is what he's urging. Uh, Sarah, as you're watching how these ballot initiatives – play out across the country. And, and you know, there's so many layers, right? Because you might have a, a, a proposal on the ballot, along with voting for your governor and members of the legislature. So how are you, how are you watching to see how all of these pieces end up fitting together in the final tally? It, it's a lot of moving parts. And I think one of the questions that we'll have afterward, as we look at exit polling, is sort of what did motivate people? You know, were they turning out because of economic concerns, were they turning out because of the abortion issue? Uh, Kansas, of course, in August was a really interesting example of people turning out. That was a that was not a general election. That was a primary. And people still turned out. At the same time, it was, what, six weeks after Roe v. Wade was overturned. Will that energy be sustained is a question we keep asking. Um, I'll be, I think, I think the, the takeaway message is to just we have to be watching every single level because, you know, even down to the state legislative race level, um, somebody mentioned North Carolina a second ago. That's a state where 
You have a Democratic governor, Republican legislature. Democrats are trying to avoid Republicans getting a supermajority. Um, that's a purple state where abortion is legal, but that could change. And so there are lots of examples like that all over the country. And I think really the big question is, you know, what's going to be on voters' minds when they walk into that voting booth? That's Sarah McCammon. She's a national correspondent for NPR covering the Midwest and the Southeast. Her work focuses on political, social, and cultural divides in America, including abortion and reproductive rights. Also with us, Rachel Reboucher. She's a professor of law at Temple University, specializing in reproductive health law. Sarah, Professor Reboucher, thanks to you both. This show was part of 1A's Remaking America collaboration with six partner stations around the country. Remaking America is funded in part by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Today's producer was Haley Blassingate. This program comes to you from WAMU, part of American University in Washington, distributed by NPR. I'm Jen White. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk more soon. This is 1A.